We are on a mission to help lawyers and law firm owners maximize wealth and achieve financial independence. Welcome to The Lawyer Millionaire with Darren Wirtz from Wirtz Financial Services. In this podcast, we will help you build wealth, minimize your taxes, and plan for retirement with money management strategies designed for the legal profession. Join us in this journey where we help you manage your money so you can make the most of your future. Start feeling confident in knowing you are well prepared for retirement and on track to financial independence. Now on to the show. Could systems and automation be the key to unlocking increased productivity for you and your law firm? Welcome to the Lawyer Millionaire Podcast, a show focused on empowering law firm owners to build extraordinary wealth and secure a lasting financial legacy. I'm your host, Darren Wirtz, financial planner for law firm owners. Today, we're honored to be joined by a knowledgeable and experienced guest from the world of personal injury law practice management. In this episode, we'll explore systems and processes, embracing failure, and building a thriving and successful law practice. And we'll be exploring all of that with the help of James Grant, co-founder of Georgia Trial Attorneys and a recent competitor in strongman competitions. (laughs) Welcome to the show, James. Thanks for having me, Darren. I, I like the little plug at the end. You always got to throw in something a little quirky, and Strongman's definitely that. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I got to see your whole workout set up, and I'm really impressed. That's fabulous. <laughs> Good stuff. Well, let's uh, start with your story, your background, and let's go way back to the beginning and tell us, you know, in the in the very beginning, what was the motivation for you to even get into the field of law? Oh, man. Uh, it was a whim, and it's it. most people don't think... I actually mean a whim, but it literally was a whim. I had a semester and a half left before I graduated with my bachelor's of science in civil engineering from Georgia Tech, where I had two job offers lined up, ready to go. And I was just like, huh, law school would be fun. Let's do that. (laughs) That, I mean, that was literally the thought process behind taking the LSAT, applying to law schools and going to law school. Wow. I don't necessarily advise that to everyone out there to make that big of a leap into something like that, but it worked out for me in the end, but it it literally was just like a, huh, this could be fun. Let's try that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, that is kind of crazy, but it obviously did work out for you and you you seem to love what you're doing now. Um, Tell us, walk us through the journey, you know, when you graduated law school um, from, from that point to starting your firm. Tell us about that story. So when I graduated, I had thought during law school I was going to do patent law, which is you know kind of a combination of using my engineering degree. And then because I had an engineering degree, I could sit for the patent bar. And I thought that would be a good thing. Well, my third year in law school, I was able to try a couple cases and practice law effectively um, under the what's called the Third Year Practice Act. And I did that at the local district attorney's office. And very quickly, I realized, you know, the whole court thing, it's performance, it's sales, it's it's just fun. So I was like, okay, everything's changing now. And when I graduated past the bar and was back home in Georgia, I was like, all right, well, I, I have to get some trial experience. And if I go the typical route, it's going to be three years before I even sit in a deposition because I'm pushing paper. So mm-hmm. I worked for a prosecutor. I was a uh, solicitor general here in one of the local metro um, counties in Atlanta and tried a whole bunch of cases. I was there for 18 months and I had like 20 something trials 
and I mean, tried more cases than some attorneys do in their entire careers. And I wouldn't say I was an expert by any means, but I had a lot of experience. I was like, okay, I get this. I enjoy it. But now it's time to leverage it into something that I want to do and be able to control a little bit of where my career goes. Wow. I went to work for a, a firm that I call door law, meaning if they walk in the door, they're going <laughs> to handle the case. Um, not necessarily the best business model because they literally dabbled in everything. Um, so very quickly, my business partner, um, he and I started at that firm two, within two weeks of each other. And very quickly, we just kind of looked at each other and we're like, let's do this ourselves. And mm. we started planning, putting the pieces together and what was it? It was 14 months later. Um, we turned in our notice, flipped the switch and started Georgia trial attorneys in January of 2015 and haven't looked back since it's been a lot of twists and turns. Um, but it's, it's definitely been the best decision by far of becoming an entrepreneur and starting my own business. Yeah, that's incredible. So you saw a lot of opportunity there that maybe there was a better business model that, that you could, you could create. Is it, was that the turning point for you? It was again, unfortunately, more of a whim and less of oh, okay. <laughs> more of a whim and idealism and less of a true plan mm. and foresight, which I've now realized after seeing it a lot is unfortunately how a lot of people in the service industry end up working. You know, if if you're a lawyer, if you're a CPA, you know, if you're a plumber, if if you have some licensure that you have, you just rely on that when you start your business. You you say as as long as I do good work, everything's going to be fine. And that's not necessarily how business works. You know, we were able to put things together. We were profitable our first year. We you know, we had a great first year, but very quickly everything as you as you start continuing to grow everything just became a problem because we didn't have systems we didn't have a business plan we didn't didn't have you know processes and procedures and standard operating policies and and templates and you know all this stuff that you need to run a business and so it got really really hectic really really fast yeah yeah so you you grew very quickly and very easily and then ran into those problems Tell us about how your firm is today and the size and scope and, and how it operates uh, in its function today. Yeah. So our firm is nothing like the way we started. A lot of that too is because in about 20, end of 2018, we hired a business coach, which was probably the single best thing we ever could have done for ourselves and our business, just to have an outside consultant to help you make strategic decisions and understand what it's like to run a business that mm. just so happens to practice law. And with that, we were able to, you know, refine our practice area because we had, we had done a lot when we started. Um, we had done family law, criminal defense, and personal injury. A few years later, we narrowed to just personal injury, but mm. within the last two and a half years, we've narrowed even further within personal injury to where our business model is that we help other personal injury lawyers make more money faster and with less stress by serving as their outsourced litigation department. So instead okay. of being a B2C business, we're a B2B business to where we only want to work with other law firms to help them and their clients with their litigation cases so that the firms that are great in the pre-litigation phase, and they're great at marketing and sales to go do more of that. Because at the end of the day, this is business. And if you want a business, go go focus on what you're really good at. And then the other stuff that comes, the you know, 
30% of cases that don't settle that need litigation. Let us help you with that. So again, you can throw more money into your marketing machine. Um, we've grown a lot. We now, in addition to Mark and myself, we have three and a half other lawyers. I say half because it's a contract attorney. Um, we have a lot of staff. Uh, we have staff all across the world. COVID was a wonderful thing in the mindset that it allowed us and forced us to look at things from a global perspective. Mm. And we have the ability to leverage so much more by hiring across the globe, as opposed to, you know, the 10 mile radius around our office, for, which is a huge ge geographic limit. Yeah. And, you know, all the stuff that comes with, with growth, as far as being able to look at technology and automation, the wonderful things that are happening with AI, you know, just being able to be able to adapt and implement things quickly. That's, you know, it's, it's all different than when, than when it was just, you know, me and Mark in his basement. For sure. Yeah. Things have changed a lot over the last couple of years. Um, I, myself and my business have, have thought a lot more broadly as a result of COVID. I think COVID was a catalyst for a lot of that change. Um, you're kind of a, a perfect example of niching down to a specific area. Can you speak for, for a minute about the power of that and how that has worked out for you? Oh yeah, it's it's incredible. And so many people are scared of a niche. You know, they think of it as well, I'm only gonna I'm only gonna have a, a a small client base and it's gonna be really tough to go after those people. But kind of flip that and think of it, well, if I know exactly who I want and I know who my avatar or my A grade A client is, then I just go after them. Mm -hmm. And if I'm offering something that is specialized, well, generally, you're not going to have a lot of competition. Or if you can offer something that's, you know, an objective, unique value proposition, even if, if it's a small market share, you can at that point have 70, 80 percent of the market share. That's kind of what we have. I would much rather have an entirely captive audience in that regard, as opposed to having to then compete with everyone doing the same thing because everybody else is doing it, but expecting a different result, you know, niching down and finding something that's different and being an industry disruptor. That's really where change happens. If you just want to be like everybody else, then you have to expect the same results as everybody else. Yeah. Great stuff. Thank you so much for that uh, explanation there. And another really great reason to focus like that is you can really refine your systems and your processes oh, yeah. and all of that stuff. Oh yeah. I mean, we, we are very focused on our niche and, and within our niche, we don't litigate all types of cases. We don't handle cases that are, you know, seven figures, eight figures and above. We really don't handle high six figure cases. Our bandwidth is from about, you know, $5,000 in medical bills up to about $250,000 in medical bills, which to the average person, that sounds like a lot. But when we're dealing with, you know, catastrophic injuries, unfortunately, there's a lot of wrongful death cases or medical malpractice cases. Those are giant cases that mm -hmm. have enormous value, but it's an entirely different workflow to run those cases than to run the cases that we focus on. We're very big on our systems and our procedures, and we like to stay in our lane. So we work very well with a lot of the, the big name lawyers that do a lot of the giant trials. We have a good working relationship because 
I actually don't want anything to do with those cases. And so we stay in our lane. And again, by doing that, you narrow your, your focus, you narrow your audience, and you're able to have the systems that support it, which then goes back into your marketing to then show that you're actually delivering on the promises that you're giving in the sales conversation. Right, right. Absolutely. So let's dive into systems and automation a little bit more deeply. Can you start by maybe giving us some examples of how you use systems and automation in your practice now? First, Microsoft owns the world pretty much. <laughs> um, and it, it, I'm okay with it. I'm not opposed to it. We we love Microsoft. But if you think that Microsoft is, and most people do, and there's no fault there. It's just we don't really have exposure to it a lot of times. Most people just think of Microsoft as, you know, Word, Excel, PowerPoint, and Outlook. And that's kind of like what Microsoft offers. But even if you just have a basic Microsoft Office 365 subscription, you have access to so much intelligence that Microsoft has already built, sanctioned, and supports. So with that, you know, you can do different workflows with, you know, Power BI and Dynamics and Power Automate um, to streamline a lot of these administrative processes and when you think about most businesses, most businesses rely very, very heavily on administrative processes and procedures. So the more you can automate those things, the better. And to give you an example, um, one thing that we do with our clients is when it comes to the time to disperse, so the client has to sign off on their settlement statement that breaks down where all the money goes from the settlement. Well, the typical process in a lot of other firms is, Either the client comes into the office, they sign the document by hand, and they get a physical check. That's too old school for me. I, I, don't, I don't like that. I understand there can be a marketing side to that component of having a face-to-face -face interaction with a client and trying to build a relationship. And if that's the goal, that's different. But at the same time, a lot of people just don't want to drive 30, 40, an hour and a half to go meet with a lawyer to pick up a check. So we do everything via e-sign we send them we have a workflow that sends them the e-sign documents when it comes back and it's signed they get another document which is an um ach form if they have selected that option because they have they can come in the office if they choose or we can mail them a check or they can do an ach the system will determine which workflow to send next but if they want an ach they get an authorization form that's again sent to them they fill it out the system then processes that information puts it into a CSV file. That CSV file is then uploaded to Truist. And then at a, there's only, I think there's two other manual triggers just because we're dealing with the bank and we want to check that. But once we sign off that the numbers are correct, then it's sent off to Truist and Truist through a robot processes the ACH transfers to the clients. So they get their money and it happens very, very quickly. Wow. Doing stuff like that saves a ton of time. And yeah, it helps with accuracy because, again, if you're telling the system this is how you do this and you do it on a repeatable basis, the chance of error is so much uh, is so greatly reduced because mm -hmm. even if I'm doing it, you know, my name's on the door. I'm responsible, but I can still make mistakes. I'm human. Yeah. So a lot of times when you take out the human component, you can actually move faster and more accurately. Yeah, yeah. I second all of that. What, was there a moment in your practice you mentioned that things you know grew and it, it became 
you realized that you needed systems and you needed automation, but was there like a particular um, difficulty where you're like, okay, now we really need this. And what was like maybe the first system that you implemented? There wasn't necessarily just one thing, but when we were in that phase of growth, we were into 2018 and we hired the business coach. It was kind of like, Everything was our hair was on fire. You know, we were just <laughs> hopping from like one problem to the next because we we didn't have any systems. We did we had some templates, but nothing was written down. You know, we didn't have glide paths mapped out for how does the onboarding process work? Well, once a client's onboarded, what are the next steps? We knew what to do. You know, we we trained our staff on what to do, but there was no you know standard operating procedure. There was no manual. There was no video training. There was no testing that we did on a quarterly basis to make sure that people are still doing the same things that we trained them on. Um, so, I mean, looking back, it was like, how did we even function? I don't I don't understand. Um, so it wasn't necessarily one thing. It was just a culmination of everything. Was just like, ha ha, everything's yeah. a problem. How do we fix this? And it just just have to start, you know, there's, you know, what the old adage of, you know, starting, uh, what, what is it? Uh, The best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago, but the second best time is today. Yeah. (laughs) You you have to start somewhere. And even if it's writing out a script of how you want the receptionist to answer the phones every single time for consistency, start there, start with something simple and then move into the bigger stuff. But the, the more that you create these manuals and even using Zoom to do screen shares and narrate little five or 10 minute video segments as far as how to do certain processes, that's really where you can leverage that ability. So then I don't have to train in person. It's just, hey, go watch the video and then we're going to send you a you know three minute test to make sure that you actually understood what you watched. Yeah. Simple yeah. stuff. And that becomes so critical for building your team, scaling your practice and bringing it to the next level. Because then when you bring people in, you have you know, things are ready for them to go. You've got the systems there. How do you keep your um, standard operating procedures? Is it, it's not a physical, is it a physical copy or is it like a digital thing? I've seen people where um, maybe they have it in a Google drive and they've got Google docs and they have a video embedded in there. What does your process look like? So yeah, physical wouldn't work because even <laughs> though I, th- I think we have, uh, we just onboarded a couple more people. Uh, I think we're up to 21 now, but they're all across the world. So mm, like a yeah. physical copy of anything wouldn't work because it's it's inaccessible. Also, mm-hmm. even though we do have people that are local, one person goes into the office every single day and that's our receptionist. We haven't been able to outsource incoming mail because we deal with checks and deposits and stuff like that. So that's the one position that's in person, but everybody else really works from home or wherever they want to. So with that, you have to have a digital platform. Um, I think there's a lot of great options out there with, you know, Trannual and a couple other different platforms for, for training processes and procedures. Hmm. I'm not the biggest proponent of those. And there's a reason for it. I don't like them because it kind of locks you into their system and your system that you have to be cohesive. But if you're scaling your business, you know, the way that you run a $500,000 business is not going to be the the way you run a $5 million business. And it's definitely not going to be the way you run a $50 million business. (laughs) So the training procedures and manuals and things that you did at 500,000 will not be the same at 5 million and will not be the same at 50 million. So 
with it, you know, we try to keep things basic of, you know, we have written manuals online, you know, using simple things like Word documents and building in workflows and having screenshots and then also having videos where it's short segments of, you know, generally no more than 10 minutes. We try to keep every video to like five minutes on average, just because people lose track. The shorter, yeah. the shorter you break it up into the simple process, then it's also easier for people to find as opposed to, well, I've got this hour and a half long video. I know <laughs> my portion that I'm concerned about is somewhere in here. And then you spend 15 minutes scrolling for it. Yeah, it, it doesn't work. So the the more you break things up in just a small digestible chunks, the easier it is. And then just storing it somewhere online where it's accessible. We use Microsoft. So it's, you know, it's all through SharePoint. Great, great. Good stuff. Great advice. Uh, and and um, great stuff for other law firm owners to to put in practice. I'm glad you you said it was digital because I I I said I hope it's not a physical copy. And then I was like, wait, I hope it really isn't. <laughs> so um, no offense taken at all. Right, right. Okay, good. Let's um, you know, now that you've built your practice and it's growing and it's bigger and, and you have this larger organization, you're in more of this management uh, position and, and there's more leadership on your shoulders. You know, as you've gone through that process, can you tell us, I mean, let's talk about the challenges other than than workflows. Was there ever a time where you faced um, a failure or an unexpected challenge in your work? And how did you embrace that and learn from it? As an entrepreneur, you will always face challenges. Um, it never stops. It doesn't matter whether you have, you know, a brand new business that just started today or if you've been in business for 30 years and you're averaging million, billions and billions of dollars a year in revenue, you're always going to have problems. And that's one thing that the entrepreneur has to embrace and understand. You're always going to have problems, whether it's people, whether it's processes, whether it's cash flow, you're always going to have a problem that you're dealing with. Nothing is ever just easy street. Um, now there can be certain firms where you reach a point where you don't want to scale. You have your needs that are met from a personal, professional, and financial standpoint, but even then that's not going to last forever. People are going to leave. Industry changes are going to come. Disruptors are going to occur. So you're going to have to be able to adapt at some point. And being able to have that mindset is probably one of the biggest keys, I think, is to understanding that things will go wrong, things will change. And you kind of have to like embrace this idea of creative destruction. You know, even though you may be staying the same, you're going to have to break it down and rebuild it at some point. You may have had a flat, a flat uh, revenue growth law firm back in the nineties, but guess what? The internet came around. And if you operated that same way, you're going to get left in the dust. So yeah. you have to be able to embrace this idea of change and creative destruction because it's the only way that we stay around and our competition doesn't surpass us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Things are always changing. Um, and, and I feel like things have really changed at, at such a rapid pace over the last few years with uh, AI coming into the picture and new forms of technology. We were just talking about AI before we we got on. Are you using AI in your practice at all? I'm curious about that. Oh, yes. Oh, okay. Yes. I love AI. I know there are some attorneys that are so scared of it. And I mean, I get it. It's new things. 
But like I said, you know, that was that was Westlaw and LexisNexis in the 80s. That was the Internet in the 90s. That was case management software and email mm. in, in the 2000s. And now AI is the new thing. But just because it's new doesn't mean it's scary. And those of us that impl- implement and adapt are going to be so much further along when the state bars and the legislators and all these others catch up to it. And by that point, even those regulations are going to be out of date. Being able to implement this stuff is just incredible. It saves so much time and it allows you to focus on your higher level functions in your job. And yeah, I mean, we use it every single day. I love it. I taught a webinar on um, ChatGPT's custom instructions yesterday. So yes, I am am all in on AI (laughs) and technology. Very cool. Very cool. All right. So let's um, now transition into uh, the, the money side of things, right? We, we talked a little bit about this before. Um, you know, running a law firm, you're running a business and there's, you know, not you always an emphasis on the business side of things. What are some um, things that you found successful for dealing with the financial aspect of running a law practice? Or what are some big money lessons you've learned uh, growing your organization? One is not necessarily, well, it it involves money. I'll give you two. This one is not necessarily a money, so to speak. It's more of a process and mindset. And then we'll talk about a couple others. But the first is cheap is expensive. Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter what it is. If you are cheap on anything, 90% of the time, it's going to end up costing you more in the run, in the long run. Whether it's technology, whether it's equipment, whether it's people, doesn't matter. If you want to be a professional in your field, Pay other professionals or obtain other professional things, because if you act on the amateur level and pay on the amateur level, you're going to get amateur results. Um, so that's just kind of like a first mindset deal yeah. when it comes to money. We we have learned it the hard way, mm-hmm. and so I'm speaking from experience. But just act like a professional. Um, the second is, and again, this is not necessarily a plug for you, but it's also a plug for you of. <laughs> Hire somebody that knows what they're doing when it comes to a CPA, to a tax strategist, to an accountant, like knowing your field, whether it's personal injury, whether it's business law, whether it's family law, criminal defense, like whatever your field is, you are really great there. Generally speaking, you are not a tax strategist. And so many attorneys, because I talk to a lot of them, are leaving thousands and thousands and sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars on the table because they're just hiring the CPA that you know we've used for the last 20 years and they do great personal returns. Mm-hmm. That's not the person that you need. And again, I'm speaking from experience. Um, when we started our law firm, we hired a CPA that was on Buford Highway in a check cashing facility. Like it was the cheapest CPA we could find because that's what we thought, like that's all we thought we could afford. And it was terrible. Mm. Now we are paying an enormous amount to our CPA and tax strategist, but the return is more than 5X, well more than that. So it's like, I'll make that trade every day of the week. And then having someone advise you on all the different strategies and the ways that you can take money from your business and put it into yours and your family's and your employees' pockets and not the government. Mm-hmm. I'm not advocating for, you know, 
tax evasion. Right. There are a <laughs> lot of tax avoidance strategies that are out there that benefit a lot of the people that you know, like, and trust in your business and your family. And why wouldn't you want to do that? Absolutely. I, I applaud that 100%. And, you know, like you said, it's not tax. It's not that you don't want to pay taxes. It's that these are avenues that the government has created. These are opportunities that the government has given to business owners and 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 to professionals to enable them and and empower their success. So you should take advantage of those opportunities as much as you can. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because like, I mean, when we started, we just thought that, you know, well, you just take your P&L and, you know, whatever money's left over, you just have to pay taxes on that because that's the way the game works. Mm. Not realizing that you, know, you can have uh, retirement plans, you can have profit sharing plans, you can also create pension plans, um, you can look for your office to be in an economic opportunity zone, You can your business can, through the Augusta rule, can you can rent your house out. You know, 14 days a year at market rate. You can have all these home office deductions. I mean, there, there's there's so many avenues where you can get money out of your business and put yeah. it into your like, and it may not be just you, but it might be your employees. Yeah. Well, who would you rather give that money to, Uncle Sam or your employees? Again, right. it's going to work for your benefit in the long run, even doing that. Absolutely. You're speaking my language, James. <laughs> Very good. Well, how about the future? What does the future look like for you and your practice? Are there some new systems you're working towards implementing or new goals that you have? Yeah. So where where the firm ends up, you know, we're we're still scaling the firm. We're in a course called Scaling Up, which is through Vern Harnish. Um, also in conjunction with how to manage a small law firm. They've created this course, Scaling Up for Lawyers. So we definitely want to scale the law firm and continue that. Through our entrepreneurial journey, we've also discovered that there are several other segments that we're interested in within the legal field itself. Um, so one of the other things that we're really working hard on is I hate case management softwares. I hate almost every single one of them mm. because they don't necessarily do what they inherently market. They don't really automate processes and workflows. And with a lot of the things that we're building into our firm, we also see that as an opportunity to create a true case management software through Microsoft with true no-click, no-code automation, which then just allows so much more efficiency. And especially from the personal injury side of things, the, the more efficient I can be and immediately throw things back in the lap of the defense Mm -hmm. the faster the case is going to go. And a lot of times the squeaky wheel gets the grease and we can resolve cases quicker. Absolutely. Well, that's very exciting. And I can't wait to uh, hear more about that as, as you continue to work on that. Well, James, we're coming down to the end of our time. I've got my last question for you. What is your millionaire mission? What's your big purpose or big why that you're working towards? So we've really got two that we kind of focus on. Um, one of them is we want to be the most profitable professional relationship with our referral partners just across the board. You know, we don't want to necessarily be just the, the litigation go-to guys. We want to be able to connect and be able to provide advice and be able to help our partners because, again, this is a symbiotic relationship between us and our firms. The more we grow, the more they grow. The more they grow, the more we grow. So the more that we can help each other and continue that pursuit, especially from a professional relationship, the more it's going to benefit us from a personal, professional, and financial um, benefit. And then one of our our lofty goals is within the next 10 years, you know, we want to give $150 million to our referral partners with our fee splits 
because they send us cases and we do so well with them in the end. Fantastic. Big goals. I like it. I'm a big proponent of having big goals. Well, James, I imagine there may be some attorneys listening who would love to connect with you or learn more. And if they want to do that, how can they do that? Yeah. So the easiest way to get a hold of me is through our website. Um, it's also the, our URL is our toll-free number effectively. Um, our toll-free number is 833-4-THE-WIN. So you just put that into your browser, 833-THE-NUMBER-4-THE-WIN.COM. And you can schedule a free strategy session with me. Or if you're local to the Atlanta area, you can also schedule an opportunity for me to come out and take you out to lunch and see what we can do for you and your business. All right. All right. Well, thanks, James. And thank you, the listener, for joining us today. We hope you gain some great insights that will help elevate your success. Remember, the journey to financial success is always better when shared. If you found value in today's conversation, please take a moment to share this episode with a friend or colleague. And don't forget to subscribe. We'd also love to hear your thoughts, so please leave us a review. And remember, you're not alone in this. Together, let's navigate your path to financial success. To learn more about how we empower your wealth-building journey, please visit thelawyermillionaire.com. Until next time, stay focused and stay inspired. I'm your host, Darren Wirtz, and I'll see you next time. Thanks, Darren. Thank you for listening to The Lawyer Millionaire. Click the follow button below to be notified when new episodes become available. This content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. This content is not intended to represent investing or tax advice. Always seek the advice of a qualified investment or tax advisor with any questions you may have regarding your own financial circumstances.